Hey everyone, Ben here with a quick interruption before we get into today's episode to let you know that we have been nominated for a Sports Podcast Award. Yippee! That is very, very exciting. We are actually incredibly honoured and excited to have that nominee. And you, the listener, yes, the very person that is listening to this right now can help us win a Sports Podcast Award and get us on the podium for once rather than always being off the podium. To do so, head to sportspodcastawards.com. Dot com register to vote click on the best olympic and paralympic podcast category where you can then vote for us to win now you will have to listen to the other nominees as well but let's be honest you know you're going to vote for us because you're listening to our show today which means we know you like us and we'd very much appreciate the vote in advance sportspodcastawards.com that's how you do it and we thank you in advance and everybody who votes for us we promise to thank you in our acceptance speech should we win. Right now, I'm going to shut up, play some music, and then you're going to hear me talk again as we get into today's episode of Off the Podium. Enjoy. Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for another interview episode, an exciting one today. We're ticking off another sport off the list, our first ever athlete from the sport of judo. That is right, we have never talked to somebody from judo and we're doing that today. And our very first ever British Olympian as well. We are speaking to Gemma Howe, two-time Olympian from London and Tokyo and fascinating chat here from Gemma learning about how she got into the sport her Olympic journey her battle with many many injuries over her career and some other interesting we learned a little bit more about judo itself if you remember back in our Rio coverage Jared and I debating about what the heck was going on when we were watching judo you remember Uchimata's well you're going to learn a little bit more about what that is and Ippon everything else in between so all the uh, interesting ways that you can win a judo bout and fascinating chat here with Gemma learning a little bit more about her and the sport so here is our chat with two-time Olympian Gemma Howe It's always exciting and off the podium when we can talk to an athlete from a sport that we have never spoken about on the show before, and also an athlete from a country that we've never had an athlete on before. I can't believe it. It's taken us this long to have a British athlete on the show, and it's it's happening today, and also a judo athlete, two-time Olympian, competed in London and in Tokyo, and I am so excited to be able to learn more about her Olympic journey and the sport of judo. It's a pleasure to welcome to Off the Podium, Gemma Howe. Gemma, first of all, welcome to Off the Podium. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Hello. Thank you for having me on your show. 
It's exciting to tick off boxes. I'm a, I'm a collector. I like to kind of go through lists and tick things off. So it's it's great to get another sport off the thing. But I I'm I'm ashamed to think that it's taken us this long to get somebody from Britain on the show, Gemma. I I apologise. We've had people from Switzerland. We've had people from Belgium. We haven't had a Brit on yet. What's going on here? Why why isn't it why is it taking us so long? No idea. But yes, glad to be representing Great Britain. <laughs> That's good. That's what we like to hear. It's always good to hear from the mother country here down in Australia, right? We've got to kind of uh, make sure we uh, we look up there. But I'd, I'd always like to find out from our guests getting involved in the sport. How how do you end up as a two-time Olympian in, in judo, Gemma? Sort of when you were younger, what was it about judo that kind of tickled your fancy? When I was eight years old, my dad took me to the local club, Wolverhampton, because there was lots of people that trained there that went to his school. So he's a math teacher. And one of the athletes from there was actually went on to be a world champion. So he knew it was obviously a successful judo club. So he took me along and I've never stopped going since. Wow. Were you involved in many other sports sort of growing up as well? Or was this kind of your first real sport that you sort of got involved in? I think I was one of those active kids that liked to get involved in everything. So I did every after school club. I did cross country, even though I hated it. Um, <laughs> I, um, did swimming on the weekends and I did gymnastics, which I was dreadful at. Um, so I think judo was the first one that I kind of really took to. I had to kind of at one point choose between, well, with every sport, basically choose between judo and gymnastics because Friday night training was on. So I had to miss that. And swimming was on the weekend. So it was competitions for judo or training for swimming. So obviously there was always a choice and judo just always came first. And what was it particularly about judo that I guess really kind of, you know, whet your appetite for competition? What was it that drew you to that over gymnastics and swimming? I think, well, I definitely don't really have coordination for gymnastics, but the gymnastics <laughs> set me up good for judo because it helped being a bit strong and having good flexibility um, but I just love fighting, I think. I think obviously a, it's a fighting sport, it's a combat sport. Um, so, yeah, I just like, I miss fighting when I can't fight, like if I'm injured. So, yeah, I just love fighting. And then obviously it's it's like you get to travel the world with your friends and there's a massive like social aspect of it. Like most of my best friends have come through judo. Um, so, yeah, there's just so many positives to the sport. And was it a case of you can get aggression out as well? You're saying you like fighting, right? So it's kind of any excuse to kind of be able to throw some people around and get a bit physical, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's for sure. Obviously, you have to control it when you're on the mat. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's fun to fight. What is the judo scene like in the UK? Maybe particularly when you got started, was it sort of a, a high participation sport? Were there many sort of juniors getting involved in judo? Um. I think it's obviously not one of the most popular sports in the country. So you do have to like travel. But I mean, I was really lucky because the judo club that I went to um, was very successful judo clubs. There was lots of people for me to fight. But even like now, we have to travel abroad a lot for training camps to try and get to fight different bodies from all over the world. In terms of when you're sort of progressing through the junior ranks, you know, going, progressing up the ladder essentially as you're growing up, kind of what were some of the more challenging aspects? Was it what you're saying there sort of, was does the travel uh, kind of, you know, was it anything else that you found sort of challenging as you were progressing through the sport? Um, not so much earlier on, but like later on in my career, I've suffered a lot of injuries. I've been very unlucky, I think. So obviously that definitely overcoming injuries and going back to the bottom and starting all over again and building your way up has been really difficult when I was younger 
um I don't know maybe like a lot of uh judo people drop out about 15 16 when they finish cadets and progress on to juniors um because I guess that's when it kind of takes up a lot more of your life so you've got to make that commitment but I mean I it's never been a question like I've always just judo's kind of come before everything basically for me I think my parents helped do that so like for example, if it was a sleepover on a, a judo training night and I wanted to go on the sleepover, my dad was like, well, if you go to the sleepover, I'm not taking you to the competition at the weekend. So wow. I think they, they definitely helped me um, stay on track. Simple little moments like that kind of help you uh, along the way. Was it something when you were younger then that an Olympics was, was a dream or did that sort of come later when you're, you are progressing through the ranks in judo? No, definitely. I think obviously, you know, when you start judo, it's an Olympic sport. So from a very young age, I remember standing up in a school assembly and saying my dream is to win the Olympics. So I think that's always been there. So obviously didn't quite, haven't quite managed that dream yet, but just to get to obviously an Olympics is still achieving a childhood dream. Now explain something to me and our listeners for, for those of us who maybe are not overly familiar with the sport. I believe in order to get to a certain level, you have to get your Dan. Now, can you explain what that actually is and, and what do you do to achieve that? So Dan grade is a black belt. I'm not very clued up on these, actually, to be honest. I think before Dan grades, it's Q grades. And then you get like a stripe on your black belt and then two stripes will be two second Dan. And then after maybe fifth Dan and above, you go from a black belt to a red and white belt. And then the white slowly gets less and the red gets more if you go on to sixth down, seventh down. So eventually I don't actually know what the top down is, is a full red belt, but that's, you get that from like a repaying back your sport. And that, that takes a very long time. I think you have to be very, very, very old to get a red belt. Um, but you can compete for your black belt. So you have to do theory and that's the bit I'm not very good at. So um, my club was very much like, um, the competition side, whereas I think some clubs tend to go down more of the theory route, but wasn't really interested in that. And then not over recent years, like some people have said to me, whilst you're still doing competitive judo, you need to try and get your Dan grades just because obviously then when you finish judo, it'd be nice to say you've got them. Whereas like I would have just carried on with the first Dan forever. So I have now because of that got my third Dan. Wow. So, so theory, like what are you having to study? What aspects do you have to kind of add to the, the physical element of judo? Uh, so obviously Jap- uh, judo is um, originated in Japan. So all the throws are in Japanese and all like the turnovers and the hold downs. So you basically have to be able to speak Japanese. Um, you need to know what all the throws mean. And if someone says, do this throw, can you do this throw? And then as the dance progress, actually, you have to be able to do kata as well, which is like a sequence of throws, kind of like a dance routine for judo. Wow. Jeez, I, I didn't realise that there's kind of theory elements to, to certain sports to kind of help progress it there. So that, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah, not really my – I don't really like to do that part of it. So that's kind of just <laughs> doing the box. So I've got the dance. So when you get the dan, then, does that allow you to go into further competition? So, like – you can't go to an Olympics, for example, without without a Dan, or is it kind of a little bit simpler than that? You get a Dan and then you can just go regional and then it just you keep making your way up. No, I think you have to be a black belt to um, enter a lot of like the higher level competitions internationally. I remember right. 16 and I, I think I'd like the same attitude again. I'd have been a brown belt forever if like nobody had pushed me. And I think 
my coach said to enter the World Cup because that was a senior competition. I needed to get my black belt. So it was a case of one night at judo, one of the coaches sat down and tried to teach me all my theory. So the next day I could pass the test and get my black belt. Wow. And what's that feeling like then when you eventually do pass that and then you realize you're eligible to go to World Cups and and things along those lines? I think at the time, like you kind of know what level you're at anyway. So the downgrade is just kind of there. It's not really, you're more proud or it's more of an accomplishment to get to the competitions as opposed to get the downgrade to go with it. It's kind of like, you know, you can drive. So when you get your driving test, it's like, okay, well, thankfully I finally got it now. So now I can just pick up my friends and go down, you know, out for the evening, basically. <laughs> yeah, except I was definitely very happy when I passed my driving test. So I was happy when I got my downgrade. <laughs> when, it, when it comes to the physical, I mean, obviously any combat sports incredibly physical, but when you're training sort of outside of just bouts with with other competitors when it comes to the gym is it is it a very upper body style sport kind of what are you focusing on when it comes to the throws and everything involved is there agility aspect to it too i can imagine as well is it combining everything really yeah definitely that's why i love judo i think because you're never stuck just working on one thing at a time and it also means you can be the strongest person in the world, but it doesn't mean you're going to win because you've got tactical aspects, technical aspects. Like there's so much toward, uh, that can contribute to you winning. So, for example, you've got to work on your coordination, your agility, your strength. And it's, I'd say it's a full body um, fighting sport, basically, which is unfortunate because I hate the rower. So obviously rowers are good fitness for full body. So we have to do a lot of rowing. And yet in the gym, we just work on everything. And whether kind of depending on where you sit in your weight category. So I was just fighting at 70 kilos and I was quite light for 70s. So in the gym, I'd be doing hypertrophy and trying to put weight on. But now I'm moving down. My program's completely changed. And it's kind of, I'm now too heavy for this weight category. I need to lose muscle. So we're doing a lot of a different, completely different program, basically. Because you initially were the 63 kilo, right? So you went up and so now you're going back down. Is that that common amongst judokos to kind of do that? I've been everywhere. So originally I was 57s and I started my senior wow. career. Then I went to 63s just before the London Olympics because I snapped my ACL and the performance director at the time made me move up, which I didn't want to do. And then, I mean, I was very, very skinny at 57. So that was probably a sensible move. And then I got moved up during another MCL reconstruction, uh, during another injury. Again, I didn't want to. The coach at the time thought it was the right thing. I'm still not sure about that. But so that's why I moved up to 70s. Um, but then I like eating, so I didn't mind it too much. <laughs> Whatever I want. And now I've got a different coach again. Um, and obviously we're starting a new cycle. Um, so he said, well, I think you'd be better at 63s. Because, I mean, I am very short for 70s. So 63s is probably much better suited for me. Um, and it means I'll be able to be at the top of my weight. Because a lot of... When I was fighting in 70s, a lot of the girls come uh, come stepping on the mat for the competition. They'll probably be 75, 74 kilos, and I'm still 70 kilos, so it's obviously giving a bit away. Um, whereas at 63s, I'll be one of the, the heavier ones. Um, so, yeah, that was my last coach's decision, and I thought, last cycle, let's go hard or go home. Because I can imagine judo is one of those sports where a five-kilo difference can really make a difference when it comes to the throwing aspect if you're 75 kilos and you've got somebody who's 70 I mean in on paper it's going to be easier for her to pick you up and throw you than it is for you to pick her up and throw her 
yeah, I think I definitely noticed that on training camp. So obviously on a training camp, someone that might have to weigh 70 kilos at a competition, obviously there's no way in at a training camp. So they might be 75 and you can really feel the difference. And do you, when it comes to then practice, do you want to go up against some girls and like ask the coach, like, hey, get me a 75 kilo girl so I can practice that because I'm going to come up against them at, at the Olympics so you can really kind of prepare for people like that? Um. I think, unfortunately, we're not that lucky in this country with the amount of people that do judo. So obviously with the pandemic before the Olympics, we were restricted to our bubbles. And I mean, we were very lucky that we do have quite a good, strong group of girls at the centre. But you wouldn't, it wouldn't normally be like you'd pick someone for their size. Well, you'd want someone about your size, but it's more you want practice against the left-hander, you want to practice against the right-hander, you want to practice against this particular grip or this particular throw. Um, so that's more what you target your training at. I, I want to clarify a few th- few things here, Gemma, when it comes to the sport. I remember back when we first started, way back in Rio, and there was an episode we did where we had watched a lot of judo and we were trying to work out what the heck was going on. And I think <laughs> I remember there was a, and again, I'm going to butcher this, please correct me, whatever I say here, I think it was called an uchimata or something along those lines. And then there was all these... <laughs> That was good. That was all right. Cool. Good. All right. Yeah. I, I remember that. But then there was other terms and everything. Like, how many ways are there to win a judo bout? And and like, is an uchimata a good thing, a bad thing? Like, kind of like if you if you're doing that, is that something that you want to get? Uh, so an uchimata is a nice throw if you get it right. It's not one of mine. So every judo player has their own throw repertoire that they like to use. Um, so you can throw someone, and you can either throw them flat on their back and get a nip on, which is an immediate win. Or you can throw like a soft flat on their back or like a side, throw them on their side. And that's a wazari, which is basically two of them becomes a nip on and then you win. Or you can hold someone down for 20 seconds or you can strangle someone and they tap out or you can arm lock someone and they tap out. But there's also you can win from shido. So if you get your partner or if your partner gets three penalties, then you can win that way. I think it's the rules of judo change all the time. So some competitions, I don't even know what the rules are. So I'm like, <laughs> if I don't know, how do the people at home that aren't really uh, sure about judo going on? It's, it's always, I just, judo is very similar in Australia and, uh, you know, as it is to the UK, it's obviously not really a, a very big sport. It is a sport that really only kind of ever gets some form of attention when an Olympics are on. And it's just, they're the sports that I really do love watching because sure, swimming's great. Athletics is great. Like these sports are fantastic. There's a reason why we enjoy watching them, but I want to see these sports that I never get to see. And I just, I, I remember during Rio when I watched it, I didn't, I don't think I watched as much judo during Tokyo as I did in Rio, but it's just hearing these terms and then you kind of see something happening and the, you've got these great commentators who are doing their best to explain it. And then you've got poor old Australian guy sitting on his couch going, so there's that, but then they did that and then they did that. So it's kind of, yeah, I, I don't know how you'd make that appeal to the kids sometimes when it comes to an infographic on screen. This is what you do when it comes to judo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Well, that especially, I don't know if I should say this, admit this, but I'm sure like sometimes one rule on one mat is different at the same competition as like one decision on one mat will go differently on a different mat. So it's like, well, this is right on this mat, but actually this is right on this mat. Which one should I be doing? Like, I don't know. And obviously, because wow. that, that's the main thing, because they want you to do positive judo and throw in judo. But sometimes when it's so close, the penalties can make the difference. Um, and that's where there's like a bit of a grey area, so it kind of can change, and yeah, it's difficult to follow. 
So the Yippon is essentially the judo version of a knockout in boxing. So if you get one of yeah. them, boom. And I mean, I mean, imagine that's an amazing feeling when you kind of get that and it's like, wow, wicked. You know, that's yeah. that's what we want to achieve. No, the Yippon is the is the one that you want. And obviously, if that's a medal fight or if that's a as it as the um, competition goes on, you're getting closer to a medal. That feeling just gets better and better. And how many of them could you say, Jimmy, you've achieved in your career? Would you have Would you have a rough guess? Uh, how many Ippons? Yeah. I could not tell you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't even think I could guess at that. I've, I'm 31 and I started judo at eight, so I've been doing judo for a very long time. It's not like one of these things with boxers where, you know, they'll say like, oh, we're 32 and one, including, you know, seven knockouts. Like it's not something you kind of tally along your career when it comes to bouts. No, I think we fight way too often to be able to do that. I mean, obviously there's a few, um, there's a, very few number of uh, judo players on the world circuit that you could be like, they haven't lost a fight in this many competitions, which, and they are like Teddy Reiner in France kind of thing. And that that's not very heard of in judo because you can literally beat someone one day and the next time you fight them, they can beat you. It's so close. Um, and there's so many different variables, but yeah, like you're very amazing if, you, if you're one of those people. When you're progressing up and the Olympics sort of become a possibility, you would have been, if my calculations are correct here, Gemma, 15 in 2005 when London gets the Olympics. Do you set yourself goal even more now, knowing that that's a home Olympics you could could achieve? Or was even Beijing a possibility for you at sort of a, a young age? No, I don't think uh, Beijing was ever a possibility. I remember I was a training partner, like just went to the train the preparation camp for Sarah Clark, who was competing in Beijing at the time. And I was just really grateful and felt amazing that I was even asked to be doing that. Um, so that was like good experience for me. And then um, the London Olympics, obviously everybody wants to compete in a home game. So I, yeah, there's just the excitement around it and just the excitement that my family felt. I think that was what was, so good about the home games that everybody in this country could get involved and um, obviously the time zone was right everyone could just come and support you and watch you and there was like the torch relay so there was just the build-up was really good um but the lead-up for me was quite stressful because I was going originally going for London at 57s and then I snapped my ACL less than a year before the Olympics which obviously that was that was devastating um and that, yeah that was a, a really rough and obviously having to try and get my head around it and the fact that I I couldn't even try and like I couldn't even enter the competitions to try and make sure I was secure in my place I just had to in a horrible way possible hope that the other people in my country didn't win because it was all out of my control um and then uh, during that time somebody else moved down weight category Sarah Clark actually so then I couldn't then do anything about that so I got told I had to move up a weight category and it was basically you need to win your competition when you get back and because the winner will be going um wow so that was a lot of pressure on a competition after however long out however many months out I had recovering from an ACL um but I did it so that was that was very very good feeling because obviously that was very difficult and how close was that to the actual Olympics, that competition? Um, so that, that was the British Open, which at the time was uh, very hard. I remember I had like a Grand Slam winner to overcome just to get to the final. Um, so like the level is lower, but there was like the odd fight that was um very close fight. 
Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I just was um, very over the moon when I won that one. And had you been in any other sort of practice tournaments beforehand or was that basically your first tournament back since your injury? So basically because I didn't want to have that as my first one, I fought the week before in a Grand Prix. I can't remember, maybe it was Turkey or something, which my physio was very against because the British Open was already much sooner than he was happy with me competing. And I said, but I don't want the most important competition of my life at the time to be my first one back. So I did the Turkey. I didn't fight very well. Oh, I got a bronze medal, so I didn't fight my best. But I think it's almost like you need to push off the cobwebs. So I was happy that I brushed off the cobwebs at Turkey so that when it came to the British Open, which was the one that I needed to win, I was that wasn't my first one back. I'd kind of, I was ready to go. That's insane. And and how then, you know, is the ACL at that point? Like, I mean, are you fully healed? Is it kind of at, say, like 80% or something like that when you can get to that level where you can actually compete again? Um, I do know. So when I fought at the Olympics, I had no uh, knee problems whatsoever. But then for two years after that, I had an ongoing, like my knee would lock, my knee would give way. It was, I basically just called it like a messy knee because um, no physio could like tell what was wrong. And then eventually, I mean, I had MRI scans and it came back that it was nothing wrong. And at this point, this was like two years post it, my knee was locking. And I was like, well, it's definitely not in my head now because my knee is physically locking. Someone has to unpop it and you can hear the clunk of like something moving. Um, and then finally the British judo doctor, who's also, we're very lucky to have her. She's a surgeon, looked at the scan and said, well, actually, no, you need an MCL reconstruction and you've got a very bad tar- cartilage tear. Um, but I mean, I was getting to the point where I was wanting to finish judo because um, people were saying it was in my head and I was like, it's not in my head when my knee um, gives way. So that was, I was really grateful, but obviously I do wonder if that injury all stemmed from the ACL, which happened before the Olympics. But I still think the home games was the one was so worth it because obviously that's that's Olympics doesn't come around very often. So I was very grateful for that. So do you feel if say those Olympics weren't in London, if they were in another location, that maybe it would have been a case of thinking more long term and maybe I'll, I'll miss these ones and go for the next one? Was it the fact that it was a home Olympics that really pushed you to go to those games? Uh, no, I think I probably would have done that for any Olympics, if I'm honest. Um, I think the Olympics is the epitome of like every judo person's um, like journey. So I think, yeah, I would have. You'd kind of, you kind of put plasters and tape yourself all together and go on with anything. I think, but um, no, obviously, like the home games just made it that extra bit more special. Always love hearing from our guests in terms of the Olympic experience outside of the competition aspect. So how was it, things like the village, if you got to do the opening ceremony, closing ceremonies, things like that. And again, being a home games, I can imagine it's, uh, you know, tenfold a little bit more so there with the attention that you probably got just from wearing Team GB on your uniform and walking the streets and places like that. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, everyone was just... Uh, so excited about it the whole country there was just like a buzz which just gives you that extra uplift and and obviously like the crowd was there was a lot of British people there when you're fighting so it all helps but yeah you just walk down the street and obviously everybody was just proud to excited to be able to meet you so that was really nice and I just think for me how how much excitement it brought to my family and my friends like you just can't beat that like I mean my family are my biggest fans or whatever but um I remember 
um, this is off on a tangent, a random story, but my, so obviously I lost my first fight to the world champion at the time, which is rubbish, but that meant I was out. So then obviously I needed to go to TGI Fridays and drown my sorrows. So <laughs> my family could sell their tickets, but I, I can't remember. I didn't really get involved in the tickets, but I know you, you weren't just allowed to like sell tickets. There was like, I don't know, there was obviously strict rules, so they didn't, um, kind of get out of hand so my sister's walking around with a banner saying tickets for sale um and then she'd just given them to my uncle I think her arms were getting tired as the police came over and said you can't be doing that um so then I think they had to go into some like off offside pub and do some like dodgy dealings to to sell the tickets but um I think everything about it they just loved it that's that's crazy. I love I love hearing stories like that. Is that kind of like like the allocated tickets your family got, or they had already pre purchased tickets to events? I think I got maybe two tickets, so then they'd all have to obviously go on the ballots and right. um, purchase tickets that way. Kind of go that way. Did you get to do the opening and closing? Because I mean, to me, I mean, we're in a bit of a period right now. I feel like the Olympics or the opening ceremonies haven't been that great. And I, I constantly said in this show, we haven't had a good opening ceremony since London. That to me is probably the best opening ceremony I ever saw. Yeah, well, uh, so Tokyo, we wasn't, we weren't allowed. Our uh, sport, our coaches decided that we weren't allowed to go. Um, but London, yes, we went, and obviously it was just absolutely insane but I do remember I got a bit of firework in my eye oh wow because then I was kind of uh, like couldn't see for the whole second half of it so then I was kind of waiting for it to finish so I could run to the doctor and get it out of my eye but um obviously the closing ceremony was literally insane because there wasn't the pressure of competing then it was all everyone was relaxed celebrating whatever and then (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and the Spice Girls reunion, literally, that's that's what I remember from it when they came out and just, um, yeah, just everything about it. Everyone was just on cloud nine. It was just, yeah, I, I remember them vividly. I think, um, I, I mean, I actually, I bought the soundtrack, I remember, for the London Olympics, and there's tracks on that to this day that I just still absolutely love. And I remember back during the Sydney Olympics, you know, buying the soundtrack for that too and, and listening to it as well. But um, there's just there's just something about that London opening ceremony that has always stuck with me. And, yeah, Rio wasn't brilliant. Tokyo wasn't brilliant. So we're hoping that the French can maybe bring back that European flair. Maybe it's maybe it's just a European thing that we're missing. That's why the opening ceremonies haven't been that good for a while. <laughs> I did see so my coach, um, one of my coaches with the flag bearer at Sydney. Um, oh, was I feel like she was, or she was one of them anyway, but I do, I have heard lots of good stories about the Sydney Olympics. Yeah, very, uh, very, very proud. I remember. I mean, I was only very young, but um, you yeah. know, yeah, similar to what you were saying. Obviously, the whole country kind of gets. I mean, Australia was just absolutely wrapped up in Olympic mania. I remember in the two thousand, in two thousand, and it was it was insane. And obviously, we're lucky enough now. Eleven years time, we're going to have another one. So it's going to going to be interesting to see how Brisbane goes uh, then, and uh, sort of see how it all plays along. You, you mentioned obviously you, you go out in the first round to the the world champion. I mean, if, if you're going to go out to anyone, I feel you either want to go out to the world champion or the the, the person who's going to go want to win the Olympic gold but did you set yourself a target like when you went into that did you go okay I, I want to get to a certain point I want a medal like did you have a, a goal in mind when you did compete um yeah so obviously well I enter any competition to win it I don't I don't see the point in entering it if you're not going like to try and win it um but I was glad at the time the coach that told me my draw because obviously 
that could have been quite a horrible moment opening your drawer and thinking great world champion first fight but somehow he managed to like convince me that that was a good thing because she's also been world champion in the weight above um so she obviously had to cut weight for 63s so he said you want to fight her because back then it was morning weigh-in now it's night before but back then it was morning weigh-in so he said the best time to fight her is first because that's when she'll have just been cutting hard and she won't have had time to put on as much weight yet and he said if you if you want to win it, you've got to beat everyone anyway. So beating her first fight would be the best time. So in my head, I was like, yes, I've got a good draw. I've got the world champion first fight. Um, but uh, no, definitely wanted to win it. And so obviously I remember when I lost that fight, it was like the end of the world because everything was about trying to win the Olympics up until that point. And I've not planned for what happened if I didn't win the Olympics because in my head I was going to win the Olympics. Um, so yeah, that was obviously devastating and then kind of needed a holiday as a family to get over that. What, what, what was on the menu at TGI Fridays when you went there? Was it just like, fucking give me everything, just load up the table. I don't care. <laughs> yes, probably. Um, it definitely would have had a Jack Daniels tower, an Oreo cookie milk <laughs> and a cheeseburger on there. <laughs> Not sure what else. So this is, this is where I think it would be great to compete in a weight-based sport when you go up a weight because then it's like, right, okay then, let's go crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was kind of what I was a bit like at 70s. I had to eat a lot to stay at the weight, which is unusual in a weight-working sport. Um, so, yeah, as much as I wasn't happy about the move at the 70s, I can't complain because I definitely had a very good few years eating. Well, after the Olympics, I mean, speaking of a few good years, obviously sort of moving forward a little bit when it comes to your success in on the World Cup stage and eventually sort of in the European Championships, I mean, multiple medals in, in, in all different events, kind of, was it just a case of that you, you peak at a different age in judo? Were you just sort of training a little bit more? Did the 70 kilos suit you better? Kind of like what sort of brought about that where you were able to go up the ranks and, and bring home a lot of medals from these events? Um. Yeah, I think well, that's where, like, obviously one coach did say 70 suited me more. I, I'm not sure because it's like, well, what would who's to say I wouldn't have got the medals if I stayed in 63? So I'll never know that. But um, I think with judo, there's not really, like, a particular age that people peak at because, I mean, if you look at British history, a lot of our good medals have come from people like 30 or late 20s, early 30s, um, which obviously for some sports, I mean, gymnastics, they'll have retired 10 years since then, yeah. uh, like, they get to that age um and i mean there's still people on the world circuit getting medals at 40 i think um which is very rare but it can happen and then you get some of the japanese uh female fighters are getting medals like ridiculously young ages um so there's such a wide range i think um and that's where i think like it's so hard to stay at the top and obviously it does happen and they're incredible athletes for so long like you get you often get a lot of like, especially in my, uh, when I was in 70 kilos, it's like every competition, the person that was winning was different. It was so open and it just was all about having a bit of look on your day and things going right on your day. And, and that's what keeps Judah interesting. I think you just, you don't, you never know who who's going to win. And does that make it then when you're so used to fighting these girls in different competitions that you'll line up, you'll get your draw and you go, ah, her i hate her i really want to go i've got extra motivation to beat her like just oh no not oh god come on bring it on i just want to throw her down i want to i want to ip on her to death basically <laughs> um yeah obviously there's definitely certain styles of fighters that you'd rather have 
So that does happen. But I kind of feel like you, you can beat anyone. You can lose to anyone at the end of the day. Like you can make a mistake. So I, I just think whoever you're going to throw at me, I'll try and deal with them. But definitely some fights you would rather have than other fights. When it comes to those styles, sort of what, what's your style, Gemma? Kind of a, and it, does that come down to, say, in a lot of combat sports where you're more of a, an attacker, more of a defender, or is that different in judo? You sort of styles don't necessarily work based on attack and defense. Um, less like that, but I guess like some fighters would be more defensive. Um, like for example, my fight at Tokyo Olympics, we were both kind of quite a bit defensive because we fought each other so many times now. Um, so it's not the most exciting fight to watch, whereas you'll get some fighters that, um, like some fights will literally be like attack after attack after attack, but then they're not always strong attack. So it's kind of literally, you could pair two people up and it's just their styles. They're just not, they don't make the most interesting fight. Whereas you can pair another, that person up with another person and it's a really close, like kind of, Ooh, who's going to win kind of fight. Um, yeah. Is there... Is there sledging in judo? Like, do you kind of have a few, you know, nice little words to put your competitor off on the mat or, like, bumping him into him in the, uh, in the locker room beforehand? Like, uh, you know, there's much of that going on? Uh, no, I'd say judo is actually quite a respectful sport, I think. Um, so you'll want to kill each other on the mat and then off <laughs> the mat you quite often uh, speak quite friendly to some of your competitors. I mean, wow. we have to fight a lot on training camp, so... It wouldn't go down very well if I'd said something. I think I'd get disqualified or penalty anyway on the mat if I did do that. But really, they're wow. not very nice at the competition. Um, they probably wouldn't want to fight me in a training camp. <laughs> so it's actually open. So if you actually just call your competitor a bitch or something like that, you can actually kind of get disqualified. I'm. I would think so. I don't think I've ever seen it happen, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure that probably would be why. Gee, um, wow, yeah, that's. Crazy. It's meant to be respectful. Obviously, at the end of the fight, you shake hands and you can like give each other a hug or whatever. You're not meant to have done that after COVID, but I think people <laughs> still did. But yeah, no, it is a very you want. Obviously, you get the dirty players that, for example, might give you the odd like knee or whatever, and uh, if the referee can't see it, but it it's a penalty I think to discourage that. So it doesn't really happen very often, and most of the time it is. You want to beat someone fairly. Um, and then, yeah, you kind of shake hands and it's all hunky-dory when you come off the mat. Obviously, between London and Tokyo, there was Rio in, in 2016. Was that on the cards, Gemma? Was it sort of a case of not qualifying injuries? Kind of what happened around the Rio Olympics? Yeah, I definitely wanted to go. Um, I was um, a extra unlucky I think in that cycle with injuries so like I said before about the I had two years trying to diagnose an injury that I'd potentially had like from two years ago and so I was kind of in and out of competitions because it'd be like okay we don't know what's wrong fight and then oh actually your knee shouldn't be locking don't fight um so it's kind of like stop start for over two years I didn't really um compete very much and then after that I had uh two stress fractures in my back so I wasn't allowed to do any judo for three months then um and then also the year just before or I think the start of the year of the games so I uh got to a, the final of a grand prix and snapped my MCL in that which then meant I missed another couple competitions I think I got concussion at one point which made me miss another competition um 
so those four years were definitely um and not the best four years trying to trying to qualify but and then another girl so she previously competed at the olympics for israel and then she got her um got approved by britain and then she ended up going in my weight category um so yeah i was obviously very disappointed and like i remember booked straight away when i realized i wasn't going to be going to new york and texas um so i saw um a friend in texas and just tried to as sad as it sounds not watch the olympics because obviously i wanted to be there i didn't want to watch other people um went where i wanted to be I have to say, if you're going to go anywhere, those two places are pretty good places to go, though, right? Like, uh, you know, a few good TGI Friday spots in both New York and Texas as well. So, <laughs> so yeah, no, uh, um, that was a very good distraction. Which, with any disappointment, though, comes, uh, I guess, a spur on to, to move to the next cycle, I can imagine. I mean, do you take that disappointment sort of those those injury setbacks that that really have dogged your career and just kind of all bottle it up for that mental side of things to go okay well this has been shit but I can use that and then I can push towards getting back to the Olympics in what at that point was only four years time yeah uh, definitely obviously you try and find like new motivation um so then as soon as like that cycle is kind of brushed and out of the way it's a new cycle it's a new goal and it's kind of like reset let's go again um, so yeah, and also, I mean, the cycle uh, Rio where I didn't go, I was at uni, um, and I found it really challenging doing full time judo and full time uni. And I do say, if I'd not had all those injuries, I probably wouldn't have passed my degree. So, like, obviously, not having to uh, go away as often did help. I mean, I still was trying to revise in between weigh in and competition, and it was um, a busy time. But like, there was a silver lining to not going to Rio. I think. That was uh, managed to pass my uni. Well, in between Rio and Tokyo, bronze medal at the European Championships in 2018. How how was that to kind of medal on, on such a large stage at the European Championships? That's definitely my favourite medal. That one meant the most to me out of all of my medals, I think, just because I remember missing my last year of juniors uh, so I couldn't do the junior European championships or world championships because I snapped my ACL. And at the time, like that was all I lived for. Like that was, that was the dream. Like that was what I wanted to do. And it felt like my life, like that had been taken away from me. And everyone said to me, it's about the bigger picture. Seniors is the bigger picture. And um, if you get a senior medal, you won't even remember your junior medal. But obviously that was really hard to believe. So from that moment, from snapping my ACL and missing my juniors, the dream had been to get on a senior podium at obviously that level or above. Um, so I think it took eight years maybe to that point. And, and I, and in my head, it was like, well, actually those juniors were the big picture unless I got something better. So I finally got that medal. That was the, the bigger picture, the seniors. And so, yeah, that was literally a dream come true. That, that had been a, a goal for a very, very, very long time. So that was a really good feeling. And then does that really spur you on towards Tokyo at that point that not only get back on the Olympic team, but to actually push for, as you've been saying, sort of that dream to win the Olympics and that this is now getting closer and closer to reality potentially? Yeah, that definitely was um, like a mind changer for me because at the time, like I said before, I didn't think I should have been 70 kilos. I thought that was the wrong weight for me. I didn't expect to be able to get a medal at that level so that was the biggest thing it was like oh actually I, I can medal at this maybe 
because in my head, so uh, Sally Conway was in the weight category in 70 kilos and she'd got a medal at Rio and she was like winning at that level for a very long time. So it never even occurred to me that I would be able to go, like I was just going to be number two to Sally. So I kind of set myself the target of trying to qualify, accepting that I won't go, but just getting into a qualification position. Um, so then kind of getting that medal made me think, oh, actually, maybe I do have a chance of, yeah, well, maybe I do have a chance of qualifying and maybe there is a chance that I could even overtake Sally. Um, yeah, so that definitely gave me extra motivation. The road then to Tokyo, obviously with the delay with COVID and everything, how did the qualification process work for you? Were you qualified before the delay or did you have to qualify still once the games were postponed in that delay period? So it was a bit of a roller coaster, like for anyone. So I was at this point number two to Sally just before uh, lockdown happened. So, I mean, I've been number two for most of it. And like I said, I just set myself the target of getting into a qualifying position, but accepting that I won't be going above Sally. And then somehow I managed to win two Grand Prix back to back, which made me uh, overtake Sally on the Olympic ranking list. So then I was like, oh, maybe I actually could be could go. And that's the first time I think I thought, oh, I might be able to go to this Olympics. And then Sally got a world championship medal and overtook me again. So then at the point of uh, lockdown, I really needed the competitions to overtake her because obviously at this point we didn't know that the Olympics were going to be postponed. So that was like, to me, I was like, I'm now losing my chance of getting to the Olympics and I'm not even getting to, obviously I know health and safety and family and everything comes first, but then a bit of me was like, I want to get my chance to at least try and give it everything. Um, so then the Olympics postponing was a good thing because then it meant I would have had some competitions when I got back. Um, but then actually what happened, Sally retired. Uh, I found out in the January of this year, wow. which I was in a good position, I think, on the Olympic ranking list. So at that point, I did think I would probably be qualified. Well, my coaches all said, you're definitely qualified. But in my head, until it was on paper and I was selected and going, I was not having it that I was qualified. Um, so Sally retiring was amazing because then it meant it kind of took the pressure off this year because I was already in a good position to go basically. So that was, that was very not like happy for Sally and she did the right thing for her. And obviously very happy that she retired. <laughs> so, so basically when she retires and do you know that, Hey, I'm going to the Olympics or was there still kind of steps that you had to secure that spot on the team? So it's the top 18 on the Olympic ranking list that go. So I think at that point I was quite higher. So my coaches all said, you're definitely going, no one can overtake you. But in the back of my mind, because it wasn't on paper yet and the Olympic ranking list wasn't finished and finalised until after the World Championships, I just wanted to kind of have it that I wasn't going so that I didn't relax and like get too too excited and then be disappointed again. Because the World Championships were pretty close, weren't they, to, to Tokyo? And I'm guessing that's not a not a usual thing in a, in a general cycle. I can imagine the World Championships are never really a few months out from an Olympic Games. No, never. So normally on an Olympic year, there isn't even a World Championships. I think because the World Championships was missed the year before uh, due to COVID, that's why it was then the year after. Um, but yeah, they were literally like a month before. And obviously wow. that's massive qualification points as well. So literally was like could, could properly change the world ranking list quite a lot. That's that's crazy. I mean, I mean on, a, on a positive side of that though, is it kind of a case of, 
you can build momentum. You can kind of, I mean, you, you no doubt competing against the same girls that you're going to be competing against in a month's time at the Olympics. So, I mean, does it kind of help you in a, in a weird way as well? Um, maybe, I guess it's different for different people, but I mean, Japan have got such a strong level that they were able to get a different person in the world championships into a final of the, and then a different person at the Olympics that won the Olympics. So, I mean, they're pretty rare that that happens. Maybe French as well. French has got the depth to do that. Um, but for me, so I fought the same person at the world championships that I did at the Olympics and I beat her at the world championships and then I lost to her at the Olympics. So maybe having the same draw so close together worked against me kind of thing. Um, obviously, it was there was not really much in it, both the fights. Um, but unfortunately, she got probably the better way around and got the win at the Olympics. Now, if I'm not mistaken, it went to Golden Point. Is that what it's called in judo? Like, and how does how does that kind Golden of Golden? So, how does that work? Is that kind of just the tie-breaking procedure, and then basically just at the end of the, whoever has the most points in that section, they go on essentially? Uh, yeah. So, at Golden Score, that's when at full time four minute fight, there's either equal score or no score. So then you go into Golden Score, and then literally any score wins. So it could be an Ippon or a Rosari to get the win, um, and Neither of us still got a score, and it ended up going to penalties. Um, and There's it penalties was... in judo. There's like like like, like yeah. a penalty shootout, essentially, some version of that. <laughs> um, not quite like that. It's more like so, if someone has a legal grip or a legal move, then you'll get penalised because obviously, otherwise, someone could just be really defensive and have no intentions of throwing. But it means the other person also can't throw, so it's negative judo. So it's to try and discourage negative judo and encourage like better judo and throws. Wow. Which obviously it's not what you want to do when you go to the Olympics. You don't want to lose in the first round. You don't want to lose at all. But yeah, when if you do lose, I mean, this is probably a really stupid question, Gemma, but bear with me. But like, if you do lose, do you want to lose in that manner because you got so close, you did your but you pushed it to the utter limit of possibility to win, if that makes sense? Um, I definitely didn't see it like that when I lost at the time, I think a loss is a loss and like I was just devastated whatever happened um and I mean it was quite a long fight which means it was a lot longer for me to go over in my head I did this I could have done this or I could have done this so in that sense not so good because obviously I I second guessed everything and wished I'd done it differently um but yeah I suppose it's better going out closely than getting destroyed and yeah I wouldn't have liked that. And I definitely did say to my coach, did I embarrass myself? Like I didn't want to embarrass myself because obviously everyone back home was, was there was extra support to normal, like people that wouldn't normally watch me at competitions or watch me at this competition. And yeah, I didn't want to embarrass myself. That's for sure. I can imagine too, obviously with no crowds, extra disappointing for Tokyo, I can imagine. Because I mean, basically the home of judo, you, I mean, that would have been an amazing atmosphere, I could imagine, had there been crowds. That would have been one of the, the probably the most well-attended events. Yeah, 100%. And I do feel very lucky that actually the two Olympics that I've gone to is um, obviously a home games and the home of judo. I yeah. think um, and I think Paris, the next ones, will be amazing because they're a very knowledgeable crowd. But I think just Tokyo itself, Obviously, I mean, we've done lots of training camps there, so we've seen it, and I just love the culture and the food and everything. I really would have liked for the people that were coming to watch me to have got to to experience the Japanese culture, um, but unfortunately, their flights got cancelled, and it was that didn't happen, and we didn't even get to go out and and experience any of that either. Um, 
but obviously very grateful that the games got to go ahead obviously with all the extra precautions and everything but no it would have been amazing if obviously everyone could have come over but I think at the time actually I didn't maybe notice when you're in the fight you're kind of in the zone I didn't really notice as much that the crowd was empty it wasn't until I saw a picture I think someone had took and then I'm about to go out to fight and the crowds obviously weren't there and it was like eerie like that's not normal for a judo competition and obviously it would have been completely different and I mean we drove past uh the BMX track or something on the way to our training base and again I said it's just really sad you can see all the stands that meant to be full of really happy cheering people and it's just empty and it's like it's really sad that that's happened but equally obviously it's it's really good that we still got to have the games which I could have made, you know, completely different experience from London where I'm sure in between sort of your events, you, you go to events where you can and the crowds are obviously quite massive in London. So it's obviously you couldn't really go to watch other events, could you? Yeah, and yeah, and that was obviously we had to be out of the village 48 hours after we competed in Tokyo, obviously to with the COVID precautions and everything. So that was, yeah, a shame because that was – definitely like going to see sports that you wouldn't normally get to watch and just just being at an olympics watching it and being a spectator is just an amazing feeling because obviously the atmosphere and everything that goes with it so that was definitely something that we loved doing after after london when we competed and we did miss out on this time were you, were you able to somehow get to a tgi fridays or was there something else in the village that you were able to kind of like drown your sorrows with this time around <laughs> And uh, no, unfortunately, we didn't get a... I don't know if I've been to a TGI's in Tokyo, actually. That maybe is something I need to add to my bucket list. <laughs> um, but um, no, the, I mean, the best part probably of the food in the village, uh, obviously they have food from all around the world, but the Japanese section was always the busiest. So we kind of, like, the queue for the gyozas is always massive. So we'd get one person in the queue for the gyozas and they'd order, like, 20 gyozas. And then another person for like the sushi and they just order loads of sushi and we just share it around um so that was probably my favorite food in the village wow wow make make the most of sort of the, the weight right now that you're dropping down a category so it's kind of like, all right gotta make the most of this you know coach won't yeah. like this in a couple of days <laughs> yeah definitely did I, i'm surprised i didn't turn into a gyoza <laughs> <laughs> so is is the goal then sort of in dropping the the category now is it paris that 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 is the goal to be able to go to a third olympics Yes, um, that's the plan. So obviously I'm hoping still get like on the way, still get, I would like to get a world medal. I don't have a world medal on those other medals. Uh, there's a Commonwealth Games, obviously a home Commonwealth Games next year also, but unfortunately they're the same weekend as the World Championships. So wow. obviously. Bad scheduling. <laughs> yeah, so for judo, my coach has already said, you need to be going to the World Championships if you're looking for the Olympics. But obviously a uh, uh, another opportunity at home games would also be awesome. Which is, I mean, that's that's fascinating. Obviously, you know, the way the world sporting calendar has kind of changed because of COVID and everything. I know, I think Athletics World Championships are about two weeks out from the Commonwealth Games for next year, but it's interesting that they're able to, they just schedule them on the same same week. I mean, w- would there be sort of many people from judo who would choose a Commonwealth Games over a, a world championship? I did wonder that, and I'm I'm not sure because I think if the, if the aim is, Paris then the world championships is worth so many points you just wouldn't really even question it um so I'm really not sure actually what other people what other countries would do about that 
Because it's, it's obviously, I mean, it's, it's always a fascinating thing I love talking about sort of with where a Commonwealth Games, I guess, ranks on kind of like the order of, you know, events that you would want to go to. But obviously, you know, yeah, the weighing up of being a home Commonwealth Games, but like, yeah, World Championship, because it's, it's the first time judo's been at the Commonwealth Games, I think, since Glasgow, isn't it? So it wasn't at the Gold Coast. So it's kind of that that opportunity. Did you we was Glasgow a possibility for you in in 2014? Did you go to the Commonwealth Games at all? That was I didn't go because that was during my um really weird knee problems and was I fighting was I not? So I wasn't even I think doing judo at that point, so it wasn't even a question whether I went. Um but like Commonwealth judo isn't the strongest in terms of internationally, like the, the countries aren't as strong as it would be, for example, at a European Championships. Um, so I think it didn't really bother me too much until afterwards and I realised how much people did enjoy it and it was still in a games experience. So then I think that's made me want to maybe go to the next one a bit more. It's, it's, it's actually interesting just looking here because, I mean, obviously the Commonwealth Games kind of fluctuate a little bit more in terms of how the sports work every single cycle, but... Birmingham comes back after being at Glasgow in 2014. It wasn't at the Commonwealth Games then until Manchester. So obviously, it's a UK thing. You guys love the love the judo, and then the uh, the last time it was at the Commonwealth Games was back in Auckland in 1990. So Australia's had what two Commonwealth Games since 1990, and we've gone, nah, we don't want judo at the Commonwealth Games. <laughs> so it's a UK thing, Gemma. <laughs> yeah, so it's good that it's um, coming come on this country, and obviously yeah. everyone getting messages now like, oh, what day you? will you be fighting or whatever? And it's like, I don't even know if I'll be there. I don't know where I'll be. So I don't want, yeah, I don't know. But it's still good that people, it's good to, for people to have something to be excited about. And One thing, uh, we'll get to some wrap-up questions in just a moment here, Gemma, that we do with every uh, interview. A couple of things. I always love it when we get somebody outside of Australia or Canada, sort of our two main countries on this show, to, to look at the overall medal tally of the athletes country. So I'm looking at the Great Britain's overall medal tally in the history of the Olympics. I'm looking at judo here. Now I'm seeing here that 20 medals have been won at the Olympics by Britain at, at judo, 12 of them bronze, eight of them silver, zero gold. This is the one sport that you've won the most medals at with never a gold medal. Are you going to be the first then come Paris to finally break this judo drought that Britain seemed to have at the Olympics? No gold medals, but 20 medals, none of them gold. Yeah, no, obviously that's everyone's dream, I think, to be the first gold medalist. And that's where, um, so we've had Paralympic gold medals, obviously um, Chris Skelly, who just got gold this time at the Paralympics, smashing it. Um, But no, yes, obviously that would be absolutely the best thing in the world to be the first gold medalist and finally end that drought of gold medals. It's absolutely insane to kind of look at this just overall tally to see that there have been 20 medals, none of them gold. I'm looking here that Britain have won a gold in ice hockey before, but never judo. Now, if you were to put that at a pub trivia, I can guarantee you that nobody would say that Britain have won a gold in ice hockey before they've won a gold in judo. I didn't know that either, so I definitely wouldn't have got that one wrong though, I guess, but... um... If I didn't do judo, I probably would have. Yeah, there, there you go. You, you, you can take that one. You can take that one out of there. Now, another thing I wanted to ask you about, Gemma, the movie White Chicks. Uh, how many times have you watched it in your life? I believe you're, you're just a bit of a fan of this movie. Yeah, I couldn't tell you how many times I watched it. If I'm being honest, I haven't watched it for maybe too long now. Um, but I definitely, when I first watched it, I then had to watch it again with my mom, with my friend, with another friend. Um, I made everybody that I know watch it. 
how often do you quote? Is it just a case of you, every day you're just going like, hold my poodle? Like you're just kind of saying things like that to people just to, you know, just quote the movie all the time when you can? <laughs> um, not so much recently, but definitely anytime I get a little bit merry and <laughs> I have to have the th- a thousand miles play um, and like triple T K A time to <laughs> kick ass. I mean, that comes up sometimes. <laughs> or, Is that a judo thing? Can you do that in the middle of a bout? Like, <laughs> um, no, unfortunately none of that in judo again with the whole respect thing. <laughs> that doesn't happen. <laughs> oh, look, you know, I'm sure the Wayne brothers wouldn't mind you if you kind of did that out there at the Olympic games, give a bit of, a bit of exposure. Another thing too, yeah. you've just gotten a dog. Gemma, t- tell us about her. I-, I want to learn more about your your new puppy. She is definitely the best thing ever. She is currently being as noisy as possible and trying to get all noisy bones and squeaky chews around me. Um, but obviously, like I said, after London, there's the big low. So instead of it was kind of the opposite this time, it was like, oh, judo's over. Yay, puppy time. <laughs> um, so didn't really get the um, the big low this time. So she definitely helped with that. Um She's Kiara, but AKA Roxy too, because unfortunately this year I lost um, my first dog, Roxy, who literally was my world. Um, but she literally is, I'm, well, I'm kind of trying to make her the improved Roxy. So um, she doesn't knock over children, she's trying not to let her picnics or all the things that my first one did. Um, so working extra hard with this one. I didn't really know what I was doing last time. She was the best dog in the world, but the greediest, naughtiest dog in the world also. So I'm trying to the best dog in the world that also is a little bit controlled. Yeah, yeah knocking over children might not go down well with some people. So, um, it definitely didn't. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. Happy, happy. She thought she was playing whilst they're screaming and running away from her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just picturing these terrified children running around with the happiest dog in the world bounding around and everyone's like, get away from the dog, get away from the dog. It was literally that bad. Or like I remember uh, someone knocked at the door with a piece of toast in their hand and she'd just snatch it out of their hand and I was like, I'm so sorry, do you want me to make some toast? And she definitely ruined Wow any picnics i'm actually just i'm all that, what you say there i'm actually just who who rocks up to your house with toast in their hand <laughs> like like I, I it's not a food that i imagine you just walk up to you you know hey yeah you go on jim just, just don't mind me yeah. my morning toast <laughs> no that that was the neighbor but um yeah they didn't they didn't have it <laughs> wow the things you learn uh as I said, we've got a series of fun questions now, Gemma, to wrap up. These are a series of questions that were given to Canadian athletes ahead of uh, the Rio and the Pyeongchang Olympics. Random fun goodness that I know we're going to learn a lot about you today. I'm going to start off with the greatest Olympian of all time to you is? Kelly Holmes. Do I say why? You don't need to. I think that's enough. Oh, Kelly Holmes. <laughs> Done. Like it. The first, I think it's the first time she's I mean, you are the first Brit on the show, so I guess that makes sense uh, to kind of keep it regional. But uh, that, that's a good answer. I like it. The first Olympics you ever remember watching were? Mm, probably going to say Beijing. I don't really remember before that. So we were in a training camp. Yeah, when it was on the telly. Beijing. Perfect. If I could be any superhero, well, if you could be any superhero, uh, what would you, who would you be? That's a good question. I can't answer that one quickly. Hang on. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, 
I can't even think of one right now. So I'm just going to say um, Batwoman. Batwoman. <laughs> hey, works. Great. Absolutely. I, I, again, I don't think we've had Batwoman answered. More Batwoman in that, that question. I think that's a great answer. Your favourite ice cream flavour is? Oh, chocolate. But it could also be mint chocolate chip and cookie dough. So, oh, that's Ooh. a hard one today. <laughs> Too many. There's a triple scoop. Triple scoop cone, yeah, right? Just- yeah. I have Go to that for every time. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that that's the easiest answer for that one. In a movie about your life, who would play you? Uh, Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz. She's got like a lot of energy, and she finds some fun and quirky. I could see it. Yeah, absolutely. Are there <laughs> any judo movies out there that we should know about? I'm sure there's like one. Well, I mean, every movie I'm always like, oh, seeing Aggie. Like, <laughs> there's some judo frick going on in it. Uh, but I'm not sure if there's actually any judo. I know um, Ronda Rousey, who's obviously an, um, a, a judo Olympic champion, is in a film. I'm not even sure if we've even seen that film, so I definitely need to see that film. There you go. Hey, just tick that off the list. Um, if you weren't an athlete, what would you be? So I actually want to be a math teacher, which is not connected ah. to Family business. So you said your dad was a maths teacher. So is that kind of where that follows from? And my sister and my brother. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. Really is a family business. <laughs> really I, did, I didn't realise that maths teachers often, you know, produce such a, a long line of, of future maths teachers. Yeah, I'm not sure that's normal. I probably would normally put people off, but I don't know. <laughs> not our family. Wow. Is, is that just because you all love numbers? Like are you just going around the dinner table every single night just talking about numbers? <laughs> They have definitely done that before and I have had to leave the table because I just <laughs> I <can't talk> <laughs> um, yeah. so and not do that at the dinner table. <laughs> wow. Um, growing up, who is your favourite sporting team? Everton. Um, Everton. That's a family thing. Didn't really have a choice in that. I haven't watched a game since judo competition started, so it was a long time ago, but I really like the black and pink um, Angry Birds t-shirt, so I do have one of them, I have to admit. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? I was, I was going to say, because uh, I saw you trained at the Wolverhampton Club, I was going to say if you were a Wolves fan. My dad's a bit of a Wolves fan, so, uh, you know, I was, I was thinking there might have been a connection there. I've been to some of their matches when I was younger, but yeah, not for a long time. I actually no. was really lucky after London, I got to go on their pitch, like, um, at halftime, one of the games. So, no, I do also like Wolves. Oh, great, and, and great. Also- the Wolves mascot at my 18th birthday party because um, um, our family know um, the mascot at the time. And I used to watch uh, Sweet 16 a lot, so my mum tried to make my 18th birthday party as good as a Sweet 16 mum. So, yeah, I had the Wolves mascot at my birthday party. Wow, okay. Why, why not? <laughs> that that <laughs> works. Um, he was doing the uh, with the blow-up um, bouncy castle, like a salt course in the garden. <laughs> Um, credit to him that looked very difficult and hot in one of them but he did that who, who knew maths teachers families had such great birthday parties this is um maybe need to be more friends with maths teachers going forward oh no birthday parties were a big deal when we were growing up <laughs> <laughs> sounds like it i like this uh the most recent tv show that you binge watched was i just finished um money heist ah right uh, what did you think of it with the dubbing and then um, well, I had to watch it because my mum's booked like an escape room kind of thing where we all have to wear the red jumpsuits and the face mask soon. So I was like, oh, I need to finish it before I go. 
And I think it started slow first um, season, like my sister gave up on it already, but then I couldn't like literally, I couldn't stop watching it. It'd be bedtime and I'm like, yeah, but I need to know what happens now. And has that person died? Like, oh yeah, I got very. <laughs> the best shows are those ones, aren't they? When you lose sleep yeah. basically over how you are, you're yeah. watching it. Where is your favorite place in the world to compete? Uh, I thought you were going to say world full stop and I was going to say Florida. Well, um, give, give, give me both. Well, you've given Florida there, but uh, what about, yeah, we'll talk about that in a second, uh, competing as well. Um, Probably, I think if, Miami maybe is up there. I just think America is just extra and just awesome with everything that they do and the food obviously is just incredible. Yeah, which that is, I'm glad you say that because... I am a huge sucker for American food and the regional-based <laughs> food there, like southern food in America is maybe just some of the just absolutely incredible. But, um, yeah, there's a, there's, can I just say this in the most politest way to our American listeners? There's a reason why they're quite large because their food is amazing. And if I lived there, I would be eating it all the time too, let's be honest. How you get skinny Americans because, like, their small is, like, our large. And I yeah. honestly, I did ask a judo player that before, like, how do you make weight? I don't understand because your food is too good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is it's it's crazy. When I first went there, and I discovered that too, that you and like they don't generally even have the sizes, do they? You just get a meal, and it's like here, just have like a yeah. jumbo yeah. cup, everything. It's like okay, well, I didn't ask for you know the the meal to feed me for the next month, but thank you. Well. <laughs> kind of works that way. Uh, your favorite video game is? Um, well, I'm currently I haven't played it for a while. Super Mario, um. And also, surprisingly, I'm really into Fortnite. Um, ah, wow. <laughs> I've got a lockdown um, and then got a bit addicted. I'm still absolutely dreadful and my aim is terrible, but uh, I really like it. Because it's good because you can kind of play, like I can play it with my sister who's in London whilst I'm in the Midlands. Like, I like that about it. Kind of works. It's, it's, it's good with sort of those online connections when you can kind of have that, right? And yeah. Just kind of, you know, yeah. pawn off a few noobs and all that kind of stuff along the way. Um, what is your biggest fear in life? Um, spiders. Spiders, right? Never come to Australia then, basically. Uh. That, that put me off actually. Um, I think we're in spider season at the moment, so I have a spider catcher. Um, what is a spider so in the UK though? Can you give me a rough idea of the size of a spider that you're talking about there, Gemma? Do I do I laugh at this when you you show me how big a spider is for you? You will, but to me it would be a tarantula. Uh, so. Like we get like really big body ones, but I mean they're oh, obviously like decent. Baby, but um, I mean I might be exaggerating, but no, like when they've got the big hairy legs and they just yep. look huge and horrible, like they shouldn't be in my house. <laughs> well, I, I won't tell you if I hold up my hand and say I've seen ones bigger than that on my wall before. So, so yeah. what do you do? Like, spider catch is big enough for them. <laughs> I, I, I shit myself and call my dad. Basically, I'm terrified of them as well. Like. <laughs> When I was living in Canada, it was hilarious because somebody would be like, ah, spider. It's literally like the size of a, like a, a, a coin. It's tiny. But that to them is a big spider. So I could be brave. I'm like, hey, hey I'm going to kill this spider. Whereas <laughs> here in Australia, I hear the words, ah, spider. I'm out the door. <laughs> yeah, I would have, I'd have been on the first flight back home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's one thing I do not miss about being back here in Australia. Uh, if you were a baseball player, what would your walk-up music be? I mean, can you do that in judo? Like when you're coming out, can you kind of have like a song that you're going out to to get yourself pumped up? Um, no, but you do have headphones in before, like as soon as you get to the point where you do kit check and they make you take them out, like you can have your headphones till then, um, which I like to do. Um, I like to play like happy music, um, but... Probably the one that I had the longest, so the Shrek soundtrack. And um, 
like to finish if I'm a believer. Like oh, brilliant. It made before I go out to fight. That works. I, I love the fact that we can we can talk about the Shrek soundtrack on this show. That's not something that often comes up. So, <laughs> yeah, I like that. Um, yep. What is the best nickname that you have ever been called? Um, probably, I don't nicknames. I mean, someone when I was younger called me Gemstar, but I didn't know if that sounded like a bit of a porn <laughs> name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking but, more like gemstone. Like I'm, that's what I'm getting from gemstar, gemstone. So yeah, yeah. No, but like it's nice because it's just like nice people. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm not really got like. Oh, I definitely actually I've been called um, like one of the seven dwarfs, dopey. I was called dopey for. <laughs> I got bought a dopey teddy. Um, yeah, not not more just like gem. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I'd go with gemstar over dopey. Just uh, you know, just. <laughs> Personally, but hey, you like dopey, why not? Uh, final question. What is one thing that you cannot live without? Kiara, my puppy. Oh, is nice the best. answer. Oh, good and job. And she hasn't knocked over any children yet, so, you know. Just... No, that's growing great. Touch wood. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. Gemma, before we let you go, if people want to follow your journey towards Paris and everything else in between, social media, anything along those lines that people can check you out on? Uh, yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, so my Instagram, I think, is just Gemma Howell. I'm not actually sure. And I think my Twitter is GemH7. Um, but if you type my name in, you'll find me. <laughs> we'll, we'll tag you. We'll tag you on this post. So if Thanks. people sort of are following us, they can uh, click on there and, and follow and check you out. But Gemma, it has been a it's been a pleasure to to learn more about your career, the sport of judo, Britain, everything else in between as well. And I I, I feel like right now I'm going to go watch White Chicks. I haven't even watched that in a long time. So I feel like we need to uh you know just organise a viewing party for White Chicks. It's a great movie. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good shout. Definitely needs to happen. Can never watch that one too many times. And a massive, massive thanks to Gemma there. A lot of fun. And, yeah, I really kind of do want to watch White Chicks now. It has been a long time. It's a great movie. Maybe we need to cover it over on the Oz Network one time. Colin, if you're listening, let's uh, queue up White Chicks to watch on a guilty pleasure month or something along those lines too. But, uh, Gemma, big pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much for joining us. We are rapidly approaching two things right now here on Off the Podium, our 200th episode as well as the Beijing Olympics. They are so close, you can touch them. We have so many great athletes coming up to talk about in the lead-up to Beijing, both summer and winter. We've got a few more winters to come in the lead-up to that. And, of course, our 200th episode, where we will celebrate the occasion by giving you another clip show, basically playing snippets from all of the interviews that we've had from episodes 151 through to 199. So stay tuned for that. If you want to stay tuned to all of those, of course, type in Off The Podium in your podcast provider. Hit the subscribe button while you're there. Leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. And also hit us up on social media so you can stay up to date with everything that we've got going on on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. And shoot us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Let, you know, let us know what you think of the show, who you want to get on the show, and everything else. Maybe teach me how to speak properly. Eventually, I will uh, get to it at one point. Big thanks again to Gemma. Big thanks to everybody for listening. As always, a special shout-out to Jason Momoa. And as always, go left.
What an episode. You loved every single second of it. It's been, again, just quickly reminding you once again, if you want to help us win a Sports Podcast Award, sportspodcastawards.com, register to vote, click on Best Olympic and Paralympic Podcast section, listen to the other nominees, and then go, hey, off the podium's awesome. They're so good. They put in so much work and so much effort, and we just love them, and they deserve to go on the podium for once. Ben's awesome. Jared's awesome. Colin's okay, but he's also kind of awesome. We'd really appreciate it. And particularly if you've actually listened to the rest of this and ended up here, because generally I assume you've well and truly tuned out by now. But seriously, if you're at this point of the podcast, then you're a true listener. And that means that you're a true fan and you should vote for us. Sportspodcastawards.com. Do it now. We will thank you forever. Literally ever. Like every episode moving forward, we will thank you forever. Sportspodcastawards.com. All right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll speak to you next time on Off the Podium. I'm I'm really going to go now. Bye.